0: Michael Dell, one of the top names in the computer revolution. Thirty years ago, Michael Dell revolutionized the entire business model behind computers, and to this day, his company remains one of the biggest computer makers in the world. In this video, we'll see how Michael Dell started a world-changing business from his dorm room and how that made him one of the richest men alive. As befitting of the man who would revolutionize the computer business, Michael Dale spent his childhood experimenting with the early computer. He would tinker around with his Apple II, but more importantly he'd also get a sense for business very early on. As the story goes, Michael had a summer job in high school selling subscriptions to the Houston Post. Instead of making random cold calls, he tracked down newlyweds and families that just moved into the neighborhood, the people most likely to look for a newspaper subscription. He ended up making $18,000 that summer, all by targeting his buyers directly. Now, although his parents wanted him to be a doctor, Michael wasn't ready to give up his interest in computers. While enrolled in pre-med in 1983, Michael spent his free time repairing and upgrading PCs, which he sold as an informal business from his dorm room. The 19-year-old's hobby quickly proved profitable, and Michael dropped out of university to pursue his startup. In January 1984, Michael registered his company as PCs Limited and began selling computers from his condo. A young entrepreneur, Michael was faced with a question, how do I compete with established competitors who not only have name recognition but also a network of retailers to push product? At the time, customers went to retailers to purchase their personal computers, The staff at a Best Buy or a Radio Shack would help shoppers find the right computer, and in return for their services, these middlemen would raise prices by 10, 20 or even 30%. So Michael figured, why not cut the middlemen out completely and sell directly to consumers? Although it would be harder to attract buyers initially, PCs Limited would be selling at a discount compared to its established competitors. Michael went all-in on his approach, which became known as the direct model of selling. He advertised directly to knowledgeable consumers in computer magazines. This experienced consumer base could pick options to have their PCs custom-assembled, a service that could not be provided by mass-production giants like IBM. And so, with the use of Chinese component suppliers and assembly plants, Michael Dell's PCs Limited began manufacturing and selling personal computers. In the first year of operation, PCs Limited sold more than $6 million worth of computers, which proved the potential of his new business model. Michael's company rode the computer boom through the late 80s, growing rapidly as word spread of its direct selling and lower prices. In 1987, the 22-year-old CEO changed the company's name from PCs Limited to Dell Computer, and just a year later, its sales hit $160 million. Michael's vision extended beyond just direct consumer sales, of course, and now he finally had the resources to expand his clientele. One of the most frequent criticisms Michael had to face was that his model could not be applied to businesses and big clients, who were exactly the sort of customers any growing company would want. Michael, however, was ready to prove the critics wrong. He attracted corporate clients by not only assembling built-to-order PCs, but by also pre-loading them with all the software they would need. If you were, for example, an oil company filling in new office space, Dell Computers would not only build your PCs for you with appropriate hardware, it would also load the systems with software to track sales of your gas stations across the country. Dell was finally making PCs for everyone, but what truly kickstarted its global ascent was the advent of the Internet. When Dell launched its direct sale website in July 1996, It gained access to innumerable customers. For the first time, people could purchase PCs online, instead of having to call up the company or sending faxes. Within two months of the website's launch, Dell was averaging internet sales above $2 million a day. By 1998 that figure had gone up to $5 million, and Dell has remained in the top three of computer manufacturers ever since. Michael Dell is still the CEO to this day even despite all the shenanigans around taking the company private and then going public again.
1: So I indicated earlier we're very pleased and honored today to have Michael Dell as our special guest. Uh, Michael is a legend in the business world, but let me just give a little background. Uh, Michael is now, of course, the founder and chairman and CEO of Dell Inc., which is one of the largest uh, IT service providers in the world. and and companies in the world. And it's a company that he started when he was 19 years old. He was a college undergraduate, University of Texas, and began assembling computers in his dorm room, built, started the company at 19. Um, The company went public when he was 23, and he became at 27 the uh, youngest CEO of any Fortune 500 company. And the company became well known for its uh, uh, personal computers business, among other things. And then um, he ran the company until 2004 and then stepped back as CEO to turn it over to somebody else. And then 2007 came back as the CEO and in 2013 decided to take the publicly traded company private uh, in one of the largest uh, buyouts of uh, of the era since the Great Recession. It was the largest buyout, about a $24 billion buyout. And the company has done quite well since it's a privately owned company. Uh, Michael is very involved as well in philanthropy and he and his wife have a foundation that's given away more than a billion dollars. They're very involved in urban uh, education, urban poverty, medical research and uh, children's health among other causes. Uh, Michael is also uh, very involved in um, the computer and technology industry. He's here in town in part for uh, CEO, technology CEO council among other things that he's doing in town. And uh, I would say that uh, in the computer world and the uh, IT world, he is uh, obviously one of the uh, legends. Um, He is one of the few people who started a company, let's say, 20-some years ago in this industry who is still the CEO of a company in the industry. So Michael, um, if I could uh, just start off by asking you, you took your company private in 2013, um, and do you miss dealing with analysts and publicly (laughs) quoted? Is that a problem? Uh, you don't have to do that? No, anymore? I
2: don't miss that at all. In fact, for entertainment, I listen in sometimes to my competitors' conference okay. calls. And you.
1: Uh, you know it's really fun. So uh, when, you're, when you're publicly traded, you have to deal with quarterly earnings statements and analysts and so forth. So now that you're private, um, what do you focus on instead of quarterly numbers? And how is your company run differently now that you're a privately owned company?
2: We focus on on our customers. We focus on the, the medium and long term, and getting away from this 90-day shot clock has given us the freedom and the flexibility to invest in our business without, uh, let's say, fear of these short-term targets. And you know, I think it's energized our team. Uh, you know, we had a very good year last year, and. Uh, you know, it's really changed uh, the, the, the focus to be more long term.
1: So, at the time you were considering doing this, um, I remember you and I were in Davos at the time, and um, I was doing it. I did a little TV interview, and somebody asked me what I thought about your transaction that was pending. And I said, Well, most buyouts of that size don't really work, so I wouldn't be that optimistic. I wouldn't look at investing in it. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that we were going to have lunch later that day, and I then apologized to you. but. Um, um, there were other buyout firms that actually looked at it as well. You did it with, with Silver Lake, which is an excellent firm specialized in technology. Um, have you called up all the buyout firms that didn't want to do the deal and tell them that they made a mistake? Have you done that yet?
2: No, I wouldn't do that. Right. Um, okay. uh, you know, I think, look, um, our business, uh, you know, uh, has some volatility. It's got some uncertainty. That's why, you know, the 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 uh, technology industry is is so dynamic. It's changing all the time, and you know we've been actively changing our business. And look, when you're doing that in a uh, in a in, in a short-term focused financial market, it can be pretty difficult.
1: So. Um at the time firms like mine said well this is a he's a PC manufacturer personal computer manufacturer and that business is probably going down and there's probably too many people that manufacture them very cheaply and so this wouldn't be a great business what did people miss because they're you're not just a PC company or what did people miss in misanalyzing uh, the way that that your company would operate in the future
2: well it, as it relates to the the Small computer systems, PCs, tablets, workstations, we've had eight quarters in a row of increasing our share of the overall industry. Right. So, you know, that's clearly a good thing. Um, there, there, there isn't necessarily a lot of growth there, but by gaining share, we can actually grow our business. So there's somewhat of a consolidation there. On the other side of our business, in software and services and data center, we have some pretty robust growth. Now, we have spent uh, over the last six or seven years roughly $15 billion acquiring, uh, you know, 40 or so firms that themselves have acquired 150 companies and built a pretty substantial capability in IT solutions, software, mm-hmm. services, data center, to give you a sense for this, last year our deferred revenues grew more than 20 percent year over year which at at our size is pretty hard to do many of our competitors uh you know similarly positioned would have had negative growth uh, in in the same uh, period so we've been able to uh, reshape the business pretty significantly
1: and successfully So what percentage of your revenues, if you can say, r- roughly are now PC-oriented? The, the manufacturing of PCs, is that less than 50% of your revenues now?
2: It's still a little more than 50%, but you know, I also think of it as the uh, tip of the spear, particularly in the emerging world. Right. So if you think about, you've got 3.5 billion people in India, China, and Africa. And uh, while IT services and data analytics and, um, yeah. you know, the more complex type solutions are, are interesting, it's not actually what they buy first. What they buy first is infrastructure, which is, you know, the actual machines that, right. you know, bring the data, the servers, uh, the, you know, the, the network, and then they get into these more complex okay. areas. So, uh, you know, w- when I look at our, you uh, you know, small computer systems business with businesses and enterprise in these uh, emerging developing markets, which, by the way, still have relatively low penetration compared right. to the developed markets. There's robust growth there. In the developed markets, it's kind of a replacement uh, cycle right. business. But, you know, to be able to bring an end-to-end solution, I think you have to have right. both ends of the solution. So we, we, we fundamentally believe in to be able to solve the problems that customers have out there. It's a combination of hardware, software, and services together.
1: Okay, so um, private equity firms, like Silver Lake, usually when they make an investment, they like to exit at a nice profit, and uh, maybe three or four or five years. So uh, what will you do to help Silver Lake exit? Will you um, take the company public again, or have you had enough of that, and how would you give them an exit (laughs) if you didn't do an IPO?
2: You know, they, they haven't uh, uh, shown any desire to, to, to exit anytime soon, uh, but there are many ways uh, for, 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 yeah. for that to occur. Um, and, you know, Going public uh, wouldn't
1: be your highest priority again? Wouldn't,
2: wouldn't, yeah, no. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, you, th- you think about why do companies go right, public? Right. I mean, we, you know, th- there's certainly a role for public markets. And when we went public in 1988, it was really the only way to get the amount of capital we needed for our growing company. Okay. And, you know, but uh, you know, we don't really need uh, capital now. We, we, we generate lots of right. capital. Our brand is also very well known by our customers, and so the reasons to go public aren't really there. So I, I find it much more enjoyable to be a private company. I think the flexibility that we have uh, is tremendous, and we can, uh, you know, take on uh, investments with an uncertain uh, uh, outcome, and 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 that's actually uh, quite quite attractive in our business. So instead of having to to manage to try to hit a particularly quarterly target, don't care about that. So we're you know we're. we're, we're Right. Much more about the, so the long term. Before
1: it went public, uh, private, your company, you owned about personally about twelve and a half percent. Is that more or less yeah, right? fifteen percent. Fifteen like percent. Now that, you yeah. own about seventy-five percent. Seventy percent. Seventy percent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it too late to invest in the IPO? Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, the, the company now. I mean, it's too late for Carlisle to invest in it. Well, guess, David, huh? yeah, I think it, it might It'll be a little late. bit late. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So let me go back to um, when you began the company. As I mentioned earlier, at at you were 19 years Flattered old. Flattered
2: by the interest, though.
1: Well, it's uh, we always like good investments. Uh, unfortunately, we missed this one. But um, at 19, you're in college, and uh, you're a freshman at the University of Texas. You grew up in Houston, and um, you're, you're a pre-med student. Um, your father was, in, in, was an orthodontist. Yes. And you have a medical background in your family. Lots of people have done medicine. So you were preordained to go to medical school, I assume. So what happened when that led you to start... Uh, fixing computers, or how did it actually start in your dorm room, as I understand it? You were assembling computers. How did that actually come about?
2: Yeah, it it actually goes back a little bit uh, further than that. Uh, You know, when I was in junior high school, I was in this math class, and uh, my, my math teacher had this teletype terminal, and you could type in programs, and the answer would come back. I just became enthralled with this idea of, of machines that would calculate and sort of threw myself into all that fast forward to uh, 1981 i'm I'm 16 years old ibm introduces the ibm pc and it was clearly aimed at business and uh, what was interesting to me about that is okay now you have this computer for a few thousand dollars that any business could buy not any business but but a lot of businesses could buy and it was incredibly empowering. It was it was exciting, and uh, you know, kind of threw myself into all of that. Uh, as I, as I took the computer apart, what I realized is that they were selling, five hundred dollars worth of parts for three thousand dollars, which seemed to me like a kind of criminal enterprise almost. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> it, it just seemed unfair, right? It's like right. how 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 could it be? You know, three thousand dollars, you know. Five hundred dollars worth of parts, and so so I started, uh, you, know, uh, you know, mapping out what all the parts cost, and then and then started upgrading. You know, like people would upgrade cars and things. Right. I was upgrading computers, and uh, you know that ultimately led me to to uh, starting the company and making our own computers.
1: But you were in your college, so you have two parents who. Um, thought you were going to medical school. Nice Jewish parents, and they yeah. wanted to, to medical yeah, that school. One, that didn't go over so well. <laughs> so you tell your parents that you're dropping out of uh, college to start a computer company. What did they say?
2: They said, you're, you're bananas. Uh, <laughs> it it did, did not go over well. But um, uh, So, you know, we basically made a deal, and, and the deal was that I would, uh, you know, take a semester off and at University of Texas, you can take a semester off and, and go back. Um, and, you know, if the business did well enough, then I'd continue. And if it didn't, I'd just go back to school. Okay. And, and so after 90 days, I had financial statements. You know, the business was was booming and thriving, and I continued.
1: So um, the name Dell is a very simple name, and sounds like it would always work, you know, four letters. Suppose your last name had been Rubenstein. Would you have put that? <laughs> Do you think the company would have worked as well? Or how did you come to name it Dell? Yeah, I, I didn't.
2: It, it, the, the, I don't think Rubenstein Computer Corporation okay, would have, have, would have, would I have, don't have been. I wouldn't think so either. Uh, but um, the, the name was actually a bit of, a, of, of an accident. Uh, I, I, it, when I was in my dorm room, I had a, uh, a, a trade name called PCs Limited. So I was a sole proprietor. Doing business as PCs Limited, and I had this customer who was a lawyer, and he, you know, was kind of saying, "Hey, your business is thriving; it's growing. Maybe you should incorporate." I said, "Why do I want to do that?" You know, and he kind of explains to me the benefits of being a corporation, and I said, "Well, so what's involved here?" He says, "Well, uh, how about you know, you install another hard disk drive for me, and I'll do your incorporation." I said, "Okay, that's the deal." And so I install the hard drive, and he says, well, there's two problems. First is you can't incorporate the name PCs Limited because it's too generic. So I, this is the lawyer speaking, called the company Dell Computer Corporation, doing business as PCs Limited. I said, okay, fine, whatever. Okay. Then he says, and the second thing is you need $1,000 because you can't start a corporation unless you have $1,000. I said, well, I, it's going to take me a few days to go sell some more stuff. I'll come back with a thousand dollars, and right. so so that that was May third, nineteen eighty four. Wow. Company was incorporated with a thousand dollars as Dell Computer Corporation. Fast forward uh, three years, we embark on our global expansion. Right. <laughs> uh, in 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 the UK, hire hire a guy in the UK. Uh, he actually didn't show up for work so the second command was 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 promoted right. to be the head of the UK <laughs> <museum>. <laughs> and and he's he's calling back to headquarters he says i can't make PCs limited limited in the right, uk right. cuz that makes no sense at all so what should i call this company meanwhile back in texas business is booming we're we, you know we're too busy we we just we don't know you figure it out so so The guy in the U.K. says, well, I'm going to call this Dell Computer Corporation, because that's the name of the company. So we were Dell Computer Corporation in the U.K., and we were Dell Computer Corporation doing business as PCs Limited in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, for a period of time. And then a bunch of folks came to me and said, you should just have it be Dell Computer Corporation. I was reluctant, but it's all worked out.
1: I would say so, but um, so um, you're in your college dorm. Do you have a lot of your friends from your college dorm era who have said this was really their idea and they've sued you and said, you know, you took their idea? That hasn't happened, right?
2: No, no. I, I uh, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they weren't that clever, but, but uh, uh, you know, um, I had this one roommate who really got upset with me because there were boxes everywhere, right. and uh, he, uh, the UPS man, also hated me because you know, it was like enormous numbers of boxes, you know, and uh, so one day my roommate piled all the boxes in front of my door, you know, oh. and uh, so I, I couldn't get out of the room, and, and uh, so, so I so I, I moved
1: to a different. So what happened? What happened to him? I mean. Uh- I assume, don't know. Heard from I, him. I think
2: he's a lawyer somewhere. Think, okay.
1: <laughs> so, um, now as I remember it, when you started your company, um, the, the thing that was very clever and that was unique is you would say, I'm going to uh, bypass the middleman. I'm not going to go to the retail uh, store to buy my computer. Somebody would just send you an order and you would make the computer to order. And is that essentially right? You made them to order?
2: Yeah, we created a, a direct business model And that enabled us to create all kinds of efficiencies in our supply chain, uh, customer information. Uh, You know, today we we have a, what we call omni-channel, where we we have channel partners and uh, relationships with customers kind of combined together.
1: Okay, so today, um, as I mentioned earlier, in 2004, at your relatively young age, I guess you were in, I don't know, 40 or so? Or something like that. Thirty-nine. 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 You're fifty. You just turned fifty years old. Um, so at in 30, the 50 club. Fifty. Yep. Okay. Got fifty to go. Um, now at thirty-nine, um, you say, I, you know, I'm tired of being CEO. I'll step upstairs, and you did that for a couple of years. Was that very difficult to kind of step back as the CEO and have somebody else running it? I guess so, because you came back in three years. But uh, what did you miss uh, as the CEO, or why did you come back as the CEO a couple of years later?
2: Well, I was actively involved in, in the company. Uh, you know, I think the, the industry rate of change started to accelerate. And the board asked me to, to come back as, as CEO. And uh, you know, I think we needed to make some relatively swift changes in our, in our strategy. And I was happy to do that, and that's what we did.
1: Okay, so you came back. Let's talk about the industry today. Uh, what do you see the biggest challenges for the American technology industry? Um, the industry that's not only in uh, Silicon Valley, obviously in Texas and other parts of the United States where, where people are building companies that are technology leaders. Uh, do you see foreign challenges uh, that are great? And what do you think, for example, in your company, the biggest challenge you face?
2: I think if you if you step back, what's interesting about our industry and the way our customers are using the technology is there was this enormous wave of let's make existing businesses more efficient and more productive using technology. And all of us have been doing that for a long, long time. That's been going on. Now you're seeing this, uh, you know, how do you reinvent things or invent them completely new given all this new technology right. that's out there? And you know, in the technology sector, we kind of live and breathe this all, all the time, but now I think it's showing up in sort of all industries. You know, for, for any uh, uh, company in our sector, you, you have to, you know, uh, change or die, you have to evolve. Right, right. For us, that's meant aggressively growing in these new areas, like software services, understanding the challenges our customers have, like in cybersecurity and uh, helping to, to go, you know, build solutions to go, to go solve those problems.
1: Okay. Now, you still make a lot of PCs, as we mentioned. Do you make um, tablets? We do. And is that we a do. growth business? You think that's going to replace PCs, the tablet business, or? You know,
2: I, I think I I think of the tablet as a lineal descendant of of the notebook. The notebook is a lineal descendant of the desktop. There are many different you know shapes and sizes for the products. You've got workstations, virtual machines. Tablets, uh, you know, notebooks, desktops, gaming machines—we we make them all. Let, you know, let let customers decide. But I think I think uh, with the enormous growth in mobile devices, particularly smartphones, there was I think uh, maybe a bit of a swing to believe at some point that all of those devices would replace right. the PC. I think the reality is it's more of a multi-device world. And and actually, it's not just the PC and the smartphone and the tablet. It's now all these embedded computers, the wearables, the Internet of things. So you're kind of going from this world of, let's say, a billion connected devices to 100 billion connected devices. As the cost of semiconductors comes down, you have this instrumentation and kind of making everything smart and intelligent. That creates all this data, has to be turned into insights and knowledge. And that's really the big opportunity right. that uh, all organizations have out there is how do you use this data to make what you're doing you know, more, more productive or reinvent it somewhere.
1: so?: I'm talking about big data. Uh, you, you because you have so many customers, you know what they're interested in among other things. So do you take the data and use it for some other purpose that you can uh, make another business out of all the data that you, you have?
2: Sure. We use it you know, to, to improve the efficiency of our own sales and marketing and, and services and you know, increasingly uh, with, with data scientists that work for us, help our customers be more productive, efficient, Right. Uh, with better outcomes in whatever it is they're doing, whether it's healthcare, education, banking, finance, manufacturing, well, et cetera.
1: Now, you don't make a manufacturer smartphones, is that correct? We do not. And no. the reason is
2: it, a lot of ways to make money uh, in IT other than smartphones. So, you know, the, the level set this IT industry is about a $3 trillion industry, and of that, Roughly 2.75 trillion is commercial business enterprise, public sector, and 250 billion is consumer. We're much more focused on the 2.75 trillion. And so, uh, you know, f- from, a, from a device standpoint, uh, you know, what does it mean? PCs, tablets, embedded, you know, workstations, uh, then we get into the data center. Uh, all the infrastructure, the cloud computing, the software-defined network storage, compute. Then we focus on the, the systems management, the security, the big data. Right. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, one of the most exciting areas is services because uh, w- you know, we find more and more customers want us to help them right. uh, implement all these systems, run them, for them and uh, help them uh, you know, make use of all the tools. And we, we think the combination of all these things together are, are really so important. So you
1: bought, uh, one of your uh, acquisitions was Perot Systems. I think that might have been your biggest. Um, did you deal with Ross Perot in negotiating that or how did that come about?
2: Um, I didn't personally deal with him in the negotiation. Uh, uh, but he still comes to work every day at our office. Really? Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. So Uh, do you tell him what to do or not really? No,
2: I don't think anybody tells uh, Ross what Uh, to do. Uh, Mr. Perot.
1: So um, what about, uh, Apple has said they're going to come out with a wearable watch. Um, Are you going to make a watch?
2: No. So, you know, I think the, 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 here's a way to think about the smartphone. For every 50 smartphones that get put into the world, a new server pops up. And the reason a server pops up is because when you get a smartphone, it actually doesn't have anything on it. And you put stuff on it that comes over the network. Where does it come from? Usually not another smartphone, it right. comes from a server. And so this massive buildup, you know, so uh, you, you think about the, the, the companies that are uh, providing the, the services right. that you know, uh, uh, users are using on their mobile phones, we're providing the infrastructure and the equipment to be able to to power those.
1: As a young a man, when you were running the company, you presumably met with Steve Jobs. You presumably met with Bill Gates. So how did you compare the two of them? Were they different in personalities? And were you uh, competing with them? Were you a customer of theirs? Were they a customer of yours?
2: Pretty different. You know, some Some form of collaboration, uh, you know, uh, and or competition with, with, with either of them.
1: Okay. And today, um, you were in Washington recently for a meeting with uh, government leaders yeah. on techn- part of the Technology CEO Council. So you met with President Obama. And uh, what would you say uh, the Technology CEO said to President Obama about technology? Uh, were you concerned about something? What did he say to you? Did he ask you for any free computers or anything? No. <laughs> No? Any advice? Didn't
2: ask me for any free computers, but I did wonder how come there's there's no computer in the Oval Office. But that, that maybe maybe one day there will uh, it's be. It's probably
1: but, hidden, or it's probably over Yeah, you so know. something but, like uh, that. But um,
2: you know, we we focus on a, on a couple of, of issues. I think you know, Trade Promotion Authority. You know, uh, we are our, our exporters, and you know, uh, U.S. technology industry has done very well. And to do that, uh, to continue to do that, we think trade nice. promotion authority is very important. Uh, we talked about immigration, and certainly the focus on the STEM skills that we nice. need in our business is a big one. Uh, we talked about uh, taxes, and you know how do you keep uh, the sector that we're in competitive? You know, uh, all of our foreign competitors don't, uh, you know. Uh, uh deal with this repatriation right. problem and then cyber uh security uh, there are a number of uh bills that are being worked on that'll help help us address th- this challenge the cyber challenge is is a, is a big one we we see uh on behalf of our customers about 120 billion uh, events per day and uh you know have really built a threat uh Uh, intelligence to be able to understand what's going on you have state-sponsored groups you have criminals you have activists you have uh, espionage um, you know and uh, you have terrorists you know that that are all you know using uh, the the cyber domain as a as a big attack vector
1: so you met with members of Congress. Were you impressed with any of the members of Congress that you met with, or oh, very impressed? Much yes. Much, yes. Do they do they seem to know technology very well, or are they, you're just kind of uh, you know teaching them a little bit about technology, or are they more knowledgeable than I might have suspected?
2: You know, I think I think they're 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 more and more knowledgeable. We met with some of the incoming freshmen and. Uh, you know uh, actually some of them came from our industry and, and uh, ha- had a pretty refreshing insights into our sector I think um, you know we're pretty proactive about coming and explaining what challenges we see right. and communicating what uh, the you know the, the the opportunities are but look it's a it's a it's it's a frustrating environment you know there, there isn't anybody who who would tell you something other than that.
1: So, you know, people always want to know what the next big thing is. So, you know, in technology, if I wanted to make an investment in the next big thing, what area mm-hmm. would I put my money in? What would you say would be a good good investment?
2: I think there, there are pro- probably many next big things. I mean, the, this idea of the data economy, call it big data, machine-to-machine communication, machine learning, uh, we think that is an enormous opportunity for not only our, our customers and, and organizations, but for the right. IT industry. You know, to our calculations, roughly a trillion dollar opportunity for the IT industry in uh, you know, turning this data into real insights, and the, the availability, the cost to acquire the data just keeps going down hmm. dramatically.
1: Now, you started your company, as I mentioned earlier, by bypassing the middleman, in fact, or the retailer. You went directly to the customer. And, um, but Apple, for example, they have a lot of stores now in the United States. They're, they have retail stores, and I think Microsoft does as well. You have no stores in the United States. Are you considering having stores in the United States?
2: Well, again, our, our business is about 85% commercial business enterprise public and 15% consumer. Okay. Uh, we do have uh, stores that actually are operated by partners in the emerging markets. So, for example, China, which is our largest country to, to sell our products into outside the United States, we have 5,800 Dell exclusive stores. We just opened our 400th store in India. We're opening one every 16 hours there, and you know, business is is booming uh, in the in the emerging right. world.
1: As a percentage of revenues though, uh, you, you get half, more than half your revenues from the United States still? It's, a, it's about 50-50. Okay. And um, today, um, as you look at you know, your life, uh, you have the opportunity to give away a fair amount of money. I've mentioned you're very involved in philanthropy to atone for your sins of not having gone to medical school you, you have uh, still working on that. Yep. You have create, You're creating a new medical school at the University of Texas. Um, why are you doing that? Doesn't Texas have enough medical schools, or why did you decide to do that?
2: You know, interestingly enough, the the uh, University of Texas system, with its main campus in Austin, did not have a medical school, which many uh, regarded as as a, as a real oversight and opportunity. And so, we've been working for quite some time. To, to bring this together. So now we have a, a, a new medical school, a new teaching hospital that you know, over the course of 2016, 2017 will really get going.
1: Right. So at your age, Bill Gates stepped back as CEO from his company, though he was still involved as chairman and so forth. Um, do you have any plans to step back as the CEO, or you're still happy to be the CEO for quite some time into the future?
2: Very happy to keep doing what I'm doing. It's a, it's a lot of fun and very energized by, by uh, the whole privatization. I think that's uh, made, made life uh, much more enjoyable.
1: So, you, you and your wife have a foundation, as I mentioned, has given away a great deal of money. Um, when you and your wife, dis- to thinking about things, um, if you disagree on where the money should go, how do you decide that?
2: Um, <laughs> you know, if we disagree, we just don't do it. Uh, you know, and and, and uh, um, you know, fortunately, we we have we have uh, a lot of the same values and beliefs, and and that's been you know uh, uh, certainly uh, some great ingredients for a you know, fantastic I mean, marriage. And you know,
1: you've been married 25 twenty five years. Twenty five years. You have uh, four children.
2: Four kids, and um, you know the the foundation is, is something we we do together, and and uh, it's it's. Uh, it's you know, a lot of fun, very rewarding. She spends more time on it than I do. I, I'm you know, spending my time basically okay. on Dell.
1: Well, so explain this to people here. Everybody would say, all right, this man has a perfect life. He's built a great company. He's got a great marriage, four kids, got a lot of money to give away. What's not perfect in your life to make us feel better? Make us, make us feel that, that there's something not perfect that we can say, okay, he's not a perfect life? Is there anything that you can say that's frustrating or...
2: You know, well, look, I, I feel very fortunate and, and, and grateful to be born in this country and the opportunities that, that, uh, that, that I've had, I don't really have a lot of complaints, so, so I, you, know, the, the, you know, there's nothing you should really feel sorry for, for me about. Okay,
1: so, so all right, all right. Well, like, uh, for example, do you play golf or do you have a, a high handicap? Would that make us feel better? I'm or? undefeated at golf. Undefeated, Wow.
2: I've never, never played. Oh, you don't so play golf. Don't. Okay. okay.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So for outside activities, what do you do to, you're obviously in pretty good shape. Do you exercise a lot? I mean, what do you yeah, do? Yeah. I, I like to stay, out to
2: stay outside, uh, you know, move, move around whether it's, whether it's uh, hiking, walking, little running, cycling,
1: and if people want to get a hold of you, they can email you, or what's the, how do you stay in touch with your office, just regular telephone communication or emails, or what is your...
2: Well, we, we go to the office, you know, right, and, and right. so, you know, that, that's, uh, that's one way, and certainly we, you know, it's all the normal ways, right? So, right. you know, email, phone. Do so you think
1: it'd be as easy today for Michael Dell to start a company uh, today, or be easier than, than it was then? Uh, you know, if you were to start today, let's so say you're 19 all over again today, and what would your, your advice be for young entrepreneurs, somebody that wants to start a company today? What should they do? Should they drop out of college? Should they get their degree? Um, if your children came to you and said, we're going to drop out of college and start a company, what would you say?
2: Well, um, I, I'd want to hear what their idea is. You know? so, um, I don't think dropping out of college is, is for everyone. Um, you know, it, it, it worked for me. didn't work for Charles Manson. You know, so, <laughs>
1: All right, right, right. All right you're, you're probably right. Um,
2: uh, but, you know, look, I mean, it, it, if I was 19, uh, I would be trying to figure out what company I, 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 would, I would go start. If, if, in the process of going private, somebody had uh, bought the company uh, from, from me, which was a very real possibility, I probably would have started another company.
1: Well, at the time, Carl Icahn was saying something like he might make an offer. I don't think he actually did. But suppose somebody had done that, you would have just cashed in your chips and started another company.
2: If if uh, if somebody had done that, that very likely I would have started another company
1: in the computer area or technology area.
2: Uh, I'm not going to say uh, okay. what, 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 what the company would be, but, but uh, yeah, like, likely in the computer area. I mean, that's what I love. It's what I know.
1: So in the philanthropy area, are your most of your philanthropy in the United States or is it some of it outside? How do you decide how much to put in the United States versus outside?
2: Started in the United States, it's been uh, expanding around the world. We've been very active in India and also in uh, South Africa. Um, and you know, we, we continue to, to expand uh, what we do. Um, again, the, the, the focus on children in urban poverty. Uh, we've done a lot in the education sector using insights that, you know uh, we've we gained from, from, from the Dell experience in terms of how do you use data and knowledge to inform progress. So for example, in education, there is a standard uh, that's been adopted by over half the the states uh, here in the U.S. called EDFI, which essentially is a way of normalizing uh, all the the information that a district may have about a student's performance and outcomes. And the challenge here is, you know, uh, kid goes from the third grade to the fourth grade, what does the fourth grade teacher know about the, the student from the third grade? And the answer is it depends. Um, you know, did the teacher's talk, you know, were, were records kept? That information can be incredibly helpful. The other challenge you have is that, you know, two kids can go into two different classrooms in the same school you know, learning the same subject and, and have very different outcomes. And, and so how does a principal, a district, parents, actually, you know, begin to understand all that data and start to do something about it? So we've been very focused on, on those kinds of, uh, those kinds of so opportunities. So
1: in the uh, philanthropic area or business area, what would you like your legacy to be? I mean, at 10, 20, 30 years from now, what would you like people to say about what you actually accomplished?
2: The, the goal we've set for ourselves is to figure out how to make a bigger impact on, on the world through our philanthropy than we have through, through our business. Don't exactly know how to do that. I think we're, we're you know, off to a reasonable start. Uh, uh, and you know, uh, the, the, the foundation has, has done, done, some, done some great work, uh, like you and I talked about uh, before, uh, earlier, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, not easy to, to, to do it uh, right. really well and, and uh, you know, we, we treat it uh, like an investment activity with real measurement of results and, and returns and um, um, we also look for projects where we can change the trajectory, you know, make a meaningful difference and then leave and have it continue right. without us.
1: So being Michael Dell and you're living in Austin, uh, you're obviously well-known there, you're well-known everywhere, but can you go into a 7-Eleven and not have people say, I have a good idea for a computer or, or here's a new technology idea, or people just leave you alone when you're walking around shopping, if you ever shop? You don't shop that much, probably.
2: I. I, I- I like to shop online, you know, I find that's uh,
1: a lot easier. But if you ever walk into an Apple store, for example, and, and, and you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't go into an Apple store and they would know who you are right away, I guess, right?
2: Uh haven't yeah. had that experience. experience really? um, but, you know, people generally, uh, you know, leave you alone. I I, I, don't, I don't find it's a big problem, which is good. You
1: know? And have you had role models in the business world that you would say that, you have aspired to be like them or people that you really admire in the business world or technology world
2: yeah i think i think you can you can learn from just about anybody you uh, know uh positive or negative and certainly you know in the tech sector we've had some some great folks you know b- b- before us who have you know paved the way and and, and right. led led through all sorts of various challenges i've been fortunate to to have known and worked worked with uh just about all of them.
1: So as we were t- talking about at breakfast, uh, you seem like a very even keeled person. You don't seem to raise your voice very much. You don't seem to get uh, upset. You don't I'm like understand to throw things. So when people <laughs> are, when you're mad, how do you tell people you know, that they're not doing a good job? What, are your, what is your way of actually showing anger to somebody if they're not doing a good job?
2: I don't think you have to throw things. Um, right. I, you know, wouldn't seem like a good idea. Um, I, I'm, I'm direct, you know, in, in, in my communications w- w- with our teams, uh, spend a lot of time on making sure uh, that, you know, certainly for the, for the executive team that, that I work a lot with, that, uh, you know, we're all uh, aligned on what it is we're, we're trying to accomplish. Everybody knows, you know, how they're doing relative to the objectives that we have. And uh, there's there's no no confusion, you know about uh, about, about where we are. So I, I I think I think having a constant kind of realistic assessment of where you are and what is working well, what's not working so well, what needs to change, uh, is, is super important.
1: So if, when you met with the President the other day, he said, I'd like you to come into the government, serve as a senior cabinet officer, be an advisor to me full-time. Would you ever consider going to government? or No, consider, thank you. No? <laughs> ever consider running for office? No, thank you. No? And uh, so what you'd like to do to help your country is what you're doing now, build a good company, operate it, pay taxes, and philanthropy.
2: I think I, think I could be much more helpful with that, yes. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 I have uh, taken on various roles from time to time where I think it can be helpful. So, for example, the United Nations asked me recently to be their uh, ambassador for entrepreneurship. And, you know, uh, in uh, the fall, the General Assembly is going to vote on the Sustainable Development Goals. Right. And uh, my, go- my, my uh, you know, job uh, is to convince world leaders that job creation and entrepreneurship ought to be uh, one of these sustainable development goals sustainable development goal number eight if you happen to be voting okay um, so and you know I mean my my experience uh, uh, around the world is that if you look at new jobs, seventy to ninety percent of them are created by Entrepreneurial businesses, small growing businesses, and you know governments can can or cannot do things that, that can yeah. it can help that. And I and I've I've lived and seen some interesting experiences. So we have a site, for example, in Morocco, and and you know, I was there, uh, you know, relatively recently. We have 2,000 young, excited people that are energized and right. love what they're doing. And I remember when we were deciding whether to put that site in Morocco or Tunisia, it was pretty close. It was maybe 60% Morocco, 40% Tunisia, and the Moroccan government you know, did a few extra things to kind of make it a, a little better, and we decided that was, that was a good place to go. But I, I, you know, I, think, I think we should be thinking a lot about where do the next 500 million jobs come, where do the next billion jobs come from, I believe they come from these small uh and entrepreneurial right. businesses, and we also should be thinking in these sort of conflict zones where you have a lot of young unemployed people, how do we figure out how to get them jobs because right. if you have a new government, new administration, but you still have a lot of unemployed young people uh you haven 't really solved the problem and, and you know what 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 I also worry about is these places where we've been uh let's say, dropping bombs for a few decades. Um, once all the the smoke clears, you still have a lot of young unemployed people. Unless they can go back to their families and explain that tomorrow's going to be better, uh, you, you've still got a problem. Right. And, and there's no new administration or whatever that can solve that problem. So I think we ought to be thinking, how do we go create some jobs over there? Because that, that, to me, is the root problem.
1: So any regrets in your career, some remarkable career in business and philanthropy and personal life? So any regrets, to, again, to make us feel good that, that there's something you think you didn't do right? Or no?
2: Well, I mean, you, know, you, you could, could have done this, could have done that, but I mean, I, that's just not how I, right. I live. So, you All know. right.
1: So final question. If, if I wanted to go out today and buy a PC, which one would be the best value for money for me? If I wanted to spend a couple thousand dollars, do you have anything you'd recommend?
2: Well, David, I understand you're reasonably well off.
1: I'm not compared to you.
2: Um, (laughs) So, you know, what I would recommend for you, you know, given that you're traveling all over the world and you're, you know, you want to have the latest and greatest, is our newest XPS 13.
1: Okay. And that costs roughly,
2: depending on the configuration, call it $1,000, something
1: like that. Okay. All right, no discounts, but $1,000. All right, I don't get a discount? Okay. Everybody gets a discount. Everybody gets a discount, okay. Michael, I want to thank you very much for a great uh, interview. Let me give you a...